Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brucky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from uh, COVID-19 Wisconsin, which means uh, unfortunately all of us continue to remain safer at home in uh, recording from our homes, but we are fortunate to have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action is with us. Claire, good to have you. Good to see you, Matt. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action, is with us as always. Robert, good to see you. Uh, great to be here virtually. So we have, uh, as always, an incredibly full show. Um, we have a lot to talk about, obviously a lot directly connected to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we are going to spend the first uh, segment just talking about a number of different issues that are going on including um, this Friday's protest that will be uh, at the Capitol. Um, but we're gonna talk about a bill that Senator Baldwin also introduced this week uh, to try and address the, the economic and job side of this that would be forward looking. I was gonna speak with Mark Thompson about an amendment that uh, Speaker Voss slipped into the COVID-19 legislation we talked about last week that will protect the nursing home industry from lawsuits uh, for neglect. And we're gonna have a discussion about the elections, uh, mostly looking forward this fall uh, to the state legislative elections and a number of big news that uh, has really happened over the last couple of weeks as it relates to who's running and who's not. But folks, let's jump in and have a conversation uh, about what's been going on lately around the COVID-19 response. Uh, we record Thursday mornings uh, and, and pretty much every Thursday morning for the last five weeks, uh, we have uh, been getting the unemployment numbers uh, before the show records. And this week, we found out that 4.4 million more uh, folks filed for unemployment insurance last week, which puts us at 26 million about uh, over the last five weeks. These are, these are devastating and uh, huge numbers. I don't think they're shocking to anyone who's been obviously experiencing and living through it and just sort of paying attention to the news. But nonetheless, uh, we are talking about an unemployment rate that will be uh, certainly at 20% or higher and um, rates that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. Um, and all of this sets up, of course, um, you know, pressure uh, that, that we have talked about between public health and safety and this ongoing beat from the right wing conservatives, and now I would argue just Republicans and the president, uh, to reopen our, our economy and our, our, our country uh, way too soon. So with that, I want to uh, kick it over to our panel to get the highlights on this week, including um, what I'd like to start talking about is Governor Evers' whole of authority to keep the stay at home is uh, essentially being sued. Uh, by the Republicans uh, with the state Supreme Court. Robert, uh, give us an update and why this is uh, absolutely so important. And then Claire, uh, go right to you for your response. It seems inconsistent, but they don't see it as politically inconsistent uh, strategy. Uh, and it, it starts with President Trump, which is on the one hand, we're trying to contain the pandemic and we're doing all this testing and we're doing the right thing. On the other hand, uh, undermining the one thing tool we have that's working right now, that is social distancing, and actually doing both at the same time, because the, the guidelines that Trump administration put out would indicate all states should be at stay at home right now, but 
Uh, Trump is encouraging, you know, the emancipation of Minnesota, Michigan, and Virginia, and I'm sure Wisconsin needs to be emancipated. We'll hear about that once the protest occurs Friday. And so it goes, they're trying to have it both ways because social distancing they think could be made unpopular uh, because, my goodness, think about the, the record job loss, the record loss in, in, in gross domestic product, right? Uh, while not doing what you would actually need uh, to solve the problem, which is a massive testing program with contact tracing so we can figure out where the disease is, isolate people infected, treat them, and then very carefully uh, reopen the parts of the economy that can be done safely and have a system to check any further outbreaks, which will happen over and over again until, until the, the virus comes out. Now, the protesters are being mobilized. And there's been huge right-wing billionaire money and Trump campaign money put into this. So we should not blame the folks who come out in Madison on Friday. Uh, they don't know it, but they're pawns. They're just being on their fears and anxieties and ideology ramped up. We should blame the major business leaders who have mostly been silent or against this publicly. They tried to undermine Evers, but a lot of the major business interests here in Wisconsin. They're not standing up and saying that it does more damage to the economy to open up because they're aligned with the Republican Party. And the Republican Party is aligned with an ideology. It's anti-science, not by accident, but that started with corporations deciding they didn't want to be regulated and undermine science, like smoking is good for you, there's no climate change, uh, stuff on coal, it goes on and on. And this has become central to the ideology for power reasons and self-interest reasons. And now that ideology, which has been through their huge communication apparatus, communicated and created into a strong ideology, is there to be used to mobilize folks in numbers. And so that's what's going on here. And there's evil in all humans. I don't want to vilify one side here, but I want to say that we have two enemies here. We have the virus and we have ourselves. So I'm going to include the right and all the people protesting is ourselves. And we need to figure stuff out ourselves in order to do what's necessary in order to deal with this, uh, to save human life and, uh, and to do it in an equitable way and then to economically deal with the damage and get over ourselves and get over the virus at the same time. It's a two-front war. I, I agree with all of that. I'll, I'll add that I want to double down on something I said at the end of last week that I think has become incredibly apparent over this week, especially as we see the spike in cases of COVID-19 emerging that we know are related to the election that we held earlier in April. Um, is that we are in a really precarious moment as a society as it, as it pertains to being able to stop the spread of this disease. You know, if we if we can just hold on um, and stay committed to this physical distancing and, um, you know, stay committed to all the protective measures that we have been taking so far, um, there is a good chance that we could, within the next few weeks, start to see sustained um, decline in cases and and really be sticking to this um, track of projections of, of how many cases we'd see here in Wisconsin that were predicted fairly early on, <clears throat> that we could start safely reopening the economy aligned with what early projections were. Um, but the fact that we are seeing such a strong backlash to that makes us 
you know, in part because we've been able to to keep this thing from getting in Wisconsin as bad as it is um, in other parts of the country, um, right, is, is making some folks who, by the privilege of their wealth or where they live, feel safe and feel like they don't need to be worried about the spread of this disease and that they would um, rather have some creature comforts back um, than you know, um, prioritize the safety of folks who maybe don't look like them or don't live near them or or whom they don't know. Um, and so we need to be redoubling our commitment right now to flattening the um, the curve of this for the projections of of how long and how far this disease will spread. Um, and, and this is like I said, this is a precarious moment that we that we need to be doing this. Um, and so I, I hope that all of us, I know we're going to talk later in the podcast about um, the protest that is uh, planned to happen on, on Friday of this week. Maybe it has happened by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, but, uh, but I hope that we will be redoubling our efforts as folks who are um, committed to, to stopping this disease and committed to physical distancing to be as loud um, in, in support of these efforts and standing up for our uh, neighbors, both near and far, um, as the protesters are being loud when they stand very close and very dangerously together. And remember, it doesn't go away until there's a vaccine. So we're going to have to be extremely careful and have a system carefully set up to handle this. And we're not doing that now at the federal level. We're not doing it at the state level. And just to get over the othering that uh, right-wing uh, elites are using, uh, to be very clear, the president didn't – I mean, the governor, Evers, declared better, but not enough. And national Democrats have still not even declared enough. So we don't even have a clear gold standard as to what we need to do. And I, I haven't added up the numbers. I need to look at it. But I think we're losing so much wealth and GDP every day over this that there's virtually no cost to setting all this up that isn't worth paying. And we're not doing it. I mean, we're not mobilizing the whole national or the whole state wealth. Now, the Republicans in Wisconsin are way worse. They think that we just wait for the federal government and that we should worry about deficits. Like, they're not going to balloon the deficits worse than ever by inaction. And now by filing this lawsuit, which we can talk about a little bit later, Matt, if we have time, but it, it's very unethical. With that, we have got to take a break. We will talk about the lawsuit on the back end. We'll talk more about this, and we're going to talk about the protests on Friday. You're listening to the Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're talking about COVID-19 response. Um, in particular, uh, before we get to the legislation, I just want to respond a little bit uh, to some of your comments uh, from the first uh, segment. Look, I, I think the biggest problem we face is, and we talked about this a little bit last week, um, the actual response uh, to regular working people to the economic uh, situation that we face is completely and wholly inadequate. Both the inability to, if you have a mortgage, loans, everything, everything is stacked against regular people, right down to the fact that we are not putting enough money in people's pockets uh, who have been laid off like other countries are. And it's going, it's causing real pressure and pain that makes uh, this petri dish of, of resentment uh, even potentially worse because people's economic uh, 
uh, situation is not properly being addressed right now by the government. We talked about that. Even the latest package is not going to send the kind of resources to state and local governments that are, quite frankly, on the front lines, a lot of this, and are going to be hemorrhaging. And, you know, it's not real clear from uh, the U.S. Senate or leadership there that uh, much more is going to be coming or that they really get the stake or magnitude of what we face. So all of that puts us in this really horrendous um, situation where we're here in Wisconsin and we have, you know, this horrible political blood feud that now has the Republicans uh, going to the Wisconsin Supreme Court to challenge Evers stay at home. Robert and Claire, I know you both have thoughts on that. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. And then I want us to go to um, talk about Friday and how this all uh, fits together and how citizen action and how we want to respond what's happening on Friday. Robert, quickly on the uh, Supreme Court. Well, it's clear. We've already seen what they did with the COVID primary and how this is a rigged Supreme Court with politicians in robes. Again, closed with this right-wing ideology that blinds them. They're blind too. So the way I see this, the elites who should know better, the power brokers, they're the ones morally at fault in history. Average people who are believing people they think are credible, leaders they believe credible, media sources, a whole lot less so. And they're, they're, they're us. They're our friends and neighbors, and we need not to other them. But I would just say the case is, look, Evers did something very bold here. So I said I, I cast too shade when I said he didn't propose enough. But he got the deal he, he thought he could get. And then as soon as they went home, because boss signaled they weren't coming back, that's when he used legitimate powers that have been used before, were used in a very extensive way in the, uh, in the 1918 pandemic uh, to uh, protect us and follow the science and extend stay at home. And they are angry over, because they, uh, obviously they have authoritarian tendency. They, they don't think the governor should be able to govern. And so, and they have business interests who think we're going to be help the economy by going back prematurely, which is wrong, but they're actually blind to a lot of them, but they're much more culpable under my previous standard. And so they've gone to this rigged Supreme Court, and it's going to be very interesting because they're super clear statutory authority on this one, and, but who knows if that matters to this court, Right. And so uh, this is uh, all bets are off. And then Voss is also threatened to come back and try to take legislative action, though the governor could veto that action. So it's a very dangerous situation. I think the governor is going to be stuck asking localities to do stay at home and asking individuals just to pursue it um, if, if the worst case happens here. Obviously, this political environment is a, a perfect brew for what we're about to experience on Friday. Uh, most of you will probably be listening to this on Friday, but uh, there are protests planned uh, against the stay-at-home orders, which just seems uh, irresponsible, but nonetheless it is happening. And it is being encouraged by uh, legislative leaders uh, here in Wisconsin. Um, Claire, obviously your thoughts on this and then like really what there needs to be, what is the proper response How do, you know, to this? Folks are very upset and angry, but yet like, we can't go out and you can't counter protest. You, you can't get together. Uh, your thoughts on this and, and, and how to respond. First, I'll say that I, I, mean, I find it totally um, morally um, repugnant, for lack of a better word, um, 
that um, there is is clearly a coordinated um, cross-state effort um, by folks uh, to to foment these in-person um, protests in different states against um, opposing stay-at-home orders. Um, and, and, and not just because I, I don't believe in, you know, financially supporting protesters or organizing or something, right? Um, I, I absolutely believe that, that folks, I mean, heck, we work in an advocacy and organizing space. Um, you know, I believe in folks' right to, to speak their minds and whatnot. Um, you know, but events put people's lives in danger, not just the people who are doing the actual protesting, um, but the people who are most vulnerable in our society and are most likely to be um, harmed by uh, this pandemic extending longer and longer, um, weeks and weeks because of these protests. Um, and, and when um, those, those ills, those harms um, are perpetuated with a complete disregard for folks' lives because it happens to be politically or financially advantageous for um, an, an elite privileged group of folks, um, that's that's disgusting. That's viewing folks' lives as um, disposable, and um, it's certainly not advocating for um, for the greater good. Um, and so I I'm just so I am so upset. Um, I mean it's 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 weird to feel um, you know disheartened and enraged at the same time. Um, but that's that's how I feel about these protests. Um, and it's hard to know what to do in response, right? Because we can't go out there and have massive counter protests um, the way that we would in the before times, um, right? Because we believe in protecting the lives of, um, of of regular folks, and so we aren't willing to endanger them um, by having them stand without masks on on corners, right? In mass. Um, what we can do at least is um, to push a counter narrative to the greatest extent that we can. So I'll let Robert talk a little bit more about this in a second, um, just talk about what Citizen Action is planning to do. Um, but what folks at home can do is, um, you know, find, find credible voices online um, in particular, I would say, and, and share those and uplift those. Um, you know, we here at Citizen Action believe in centering the voices of healthcare professionals as particularly powerful um, and legitimate um, um, surrogate voices in this pandemic. Um, in general, folks tend to believe doctors and nurses are a trusted um, profession. So, um, so elevating, we believe in elevating those voices, centering those voices, um, and uh, I, I think. In, in general, um, folks support um, stay-at-home orders. We've seen polling that says that, um, but, it, but it's not always really publicly clear. It's not always the dominant force in the narrative because, you know, it's sexier for the media to cover the protest, right? So we need to be as loud in our support as the protesters are um, loud in their, in their protests. Um, and I'll turn it over to Robert to talk a little bit more about what Citizen Action is doing. Well, we won't know fully till later today. I can just tell you that we have a range of options. 
we're working with the healthcare SEIU about one that actually is direct action that could be done safely if we can pull it off. But otherwise, we'll be doing very effective virtual action. But we all have a counter narrative along the lines Claire just laid out that where the voices of healthcare workers and science will be front and center, not ideology. And just to point out, I was talking about naming names, not to blame the protesters who know not what they do, unbeknownst to them, they are pawns. Uh, uh, you've heard of the E-Lines, right, everyone? Richard E-Lines, a major billionaire, they're a big company. They were really behind the whole rise of Scott Walker and his governing. Well, Liz E-Line, who is the current uh, president of the industry, is not only critiquing stay-at-home uh, national media and the journal Sentinel, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel has reported on that. National media is reporting that she's underwriting the massive social media effort to cause these protests. And just to give you an idea, a good friend of mine in Michigan, very well placed, told me that Facebook pages that had maybe 5,000 followers suddenly had half a million overnight. You know how you do that? Millions and millions of dollars in Facebook ads. And they have Facebook making money on that, too, by the way. So we should be calling out Facebook for profiting from this. But that's how this happens with ideological lies, which are been, been designed over the years and rammed home so people think it's true. So when you ask yourself, why, how can people even do this or believe this? Because they've been conditioned to, and it seems like common sense to them. And we need to find a way to break through that. But the polling is good on this, but there's a very activated minority that will take these actions if they're directed. We have got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. We will be right back after these messages. Again, you're listening to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. With Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really fortunate to have a special guest join us in this segment. Uh, we are glad to welcome Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson, uh, thank you for joining us. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here on my favorite show. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Mark Thompson, for folks who don't know, he's uh, the president of uh, Citizen Action, but he is also a commissioner on the Wisconsin Election Commission. Uh, and he, in his uh, pay job, uh, helps defend, uh, d defend uh, people against uh, abuses. And he's here today to actually talk about that, in, in particular, to talk about um, last week's COVID-19 legislation that passed. Uh, in the legislature and was signed by Governor Ebers. We talked about it last week, but there was an amendment that was slipped in by Speaker Voss uh, that did uh, something very terrible uh, as it relates to the nursing home industry and uh, your ability uh, to be protected against neglect. Mark, please uh, inform our, first of all, thank you, and please for joining us, and then please inform our listeners exactly what happened and what, why this is so, uh, so egregious. Well, the, you know, the, the background is COVID-19. You know, I'm, um, I'm over 60, uh, and, and my day job is I'm a partner with uh, Jim Grass Thompson and Wax. So I'd be remiss there if I didn't do a shout-out to my firm. But, you know, we're in the middle of the biggest event of my life. We have people that are desperate in need for health care 
We have folks that are in desperate need for unemployment compensation. And we have a governor who attempted to prevent or delay an election to allow it to be safe. And what we know is that uh, Voss and Fitzgerald swooped in, didn't meet on the special session on the election, got four members of the Supreme Court to completely take out his emergency powers, and then set him up with days, virtually days, before all the federal money is at, you know, at stake for, for Medicaid at a desperate time when all the front end responders, police officers, like nurses, doctors, everybody is on the front lines in the hospitals dealing with this crisis. And they finally get this massive bill in Madison where the, where the governor has to get this, the aid out. And in the last, essentially, last hour, and it may have actually been the last 11 minutes, Voss came in and slipped in an amendment that was essentially promoted by the Wisconsin Medical Society and the Wisconsin Hospital Association that changed the language on immunities provided. Now, immunities generally are provided if there's an emergency situation and, and people are using, in this case, it's in the context of we're using different medications, different protocols. We don't know how to treat COVID-19. And so in that context, we want immunity for those providers upfront that are doing that, meaning that the, a person that comes back later and says, I got hurt because of some protocol. I want to exercise my right to sue someone. They, they, there's limited. It's immune to protect that. At the last minute, at the behest of Medical Society and the Wisconsin Hospitals Association, they tried to open up that immunity for all acts. And it's, it's going to have potentially, I mean, hopefully the courts will see it for what it is, construe that last little provision consistent with the whole purpose, saying this is only COVID-19 related. But in a swoop, potentially opened up an arena where if there had been practice, for example, you're carrying someone, you drop them, you broke, you broke their leg. Some, something is just simple negligent is that historically the person would be able to recover for that act. Now, potentially there's immunity. And to me, it was, um, it is this kind of self-serving and in the context of medicine, I mean, what we have is for-profit medicine trying to take advantage of a, 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 a you know, a worldwide pandemic in their own self-interest. And it's, uh, it just didn't smell right to me. And I don't know if, you know, I saw on the front page of the journal Sentinel here in Milwaukee, where I live, WMC tried to pull the same kind of stunt with the, you know, workman's cop provision. And so what we see is in the middle of this, crisis, for-profit folks, corporations taking advantage of, of a national 
prices instead of weighing in together. You know, generally, I think the public would support a narrow immunity provision, right, for doctors on the front lines that are using new medications. Certainly, you want to say that, okay, to do that to save lives, that we're going to provide immunity to that, even though it's out of a protocol, even though it's new. But if, if there are issues that have always been there and the basic treatment, basic care that is violated, and now they want to have immunity from that, that just puts profits over people. Uh, and that's why I was glad to join you today. That's sort of my take on some of the, the inside scoop of what is happening in this bigger picture. So, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, go, Robert. I was waiting for you, but I was going. Okay. Uh, so, great report, Mark, and very concerning. And you're right, right on that these big corporate interests, like with custom manufacturing and commerce, they're looking for every angle to actually come out of this better and, in fact, rig things because this, this is, they want to rig this forever. And it, I guess even though there are problems with the war metaphor, it reminds me ethically of uh, war profiteers, right? Who are willing to, you know, sell it like they did in the Civil War, unadulterated meat and poison the soldiers to make profit. And it's just, and you also have WMC actually uh, lobbying against social distancing, which is should not be in their financial interest. But they are not just, they're they're a special interest that also has a right wing ideology. They were behind Scott Walker, so I think. The only thing to block this sort of thing is a you have to have this is what democracy is designed to check. We think a democracy is supposed to represent our interest, the common interest. But to do that, we have to engage the system. So would you recommend uh, that there be a push that in the next uh, package, which is going to have to happen, given this is going to go on probably for 18 months, uh, that the governor veto it unless they remove that provision and do something limited that makes sense. Is that? It, but they have. We have to lobby for that and make our voice heard for that to happen. Does that make sense as a as a way to deal with this? Well, you know, the last time around, the governor was not in a position to do a line item veto. I mean, and so this is not a typical, you know, business as usual. So the the, the governor. And frankly, everybody in Madison was faced with the choice. Do we take the federal money? Do we help the unemployed? Or do we try to fight Voss at, you know, in the last 11 minutes over an introduction of a provision? So I, I don't think it's as simple as just saying a, a call out to the governor to veto provision. I Certainly, I think that the public should call out and say, look, to the extent one can read that provision as an immunity provision, it should be changed and clarified. Okay. They should, I mean, the Wisconsin Hospitals Association has to be called out on this. Now I saw reporting, they sort of backed off. The language is ambiguous. Okay. It's my theory that they pull it in to make an argument that's a broader immunity than COVID-19. If it's not, then they should be willing to just simply sit down at the table and say, oh, we made a mistake. And, and Boston Fitzgerald should be able to fix that. So at a, at a minimum, I think the public needs to call out the special interests on what they're doing and ask everybody in Madison to focus on COVID-19 
and the devastation that's happening on our state and, and working people. I mean, you know, the folks that don't have jobs, that don't have health care, are in, like, it's, that's what you folks do every day and why I'm proud to support you. Um, you know, so that's a question. So I don't, I guess it's a long answer to a short question, Robert. I don't necessarily think it's just a question of veto because I don't know whether he'll have the veto power ability, but certainly putting it out there to say that there are people playing fast and loose and taking advantage, they need to be shut down. Well, we have to give people a mechanism to put pressure on them, particularly in this COVID-19 situation, but your point's well taken. Yes, uh, you know, you guys are very good at tactical plans. Well, first, the first thing is making sure that this gets out into the public. And um, let's give a shout out to Fox 6 News here in Milwaukee, who did an amazing piece that certainly caught our attention and had me reach out to you, Mark, uh, and why we wanted to get you on today and make sure that this is getting out. I, I think your position is right. There needs to be pressure on the legislator, legislature, i.e. Voss and Fitzgerald, to fix this. Um, Mark, thank you so much, not only for your ongoing support of uh, the work of this organization, your leadership in it, but for coming on today and talking to us about this really, really critical issue. I appreciate it. Good luck. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. And with that, we got to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we want to thank Mark Thompson for uh, joining us previous segment and educating us to that uh, amendment. Uh, very important. And again, we're going to have to continue to track this kind of stuff, as Robert mentioned, and as Mark mentioned, right, this COVID situation is going to go on for a while, and there are going to be constant opportunities to take advantage of the situation. Uh, but I want to uh, switch topics a little bit here. Uh, for the last segment um, and talk politics uh, because uh, we just came out of obviously a very traumatic election um, and we are headed into more elections that continue to uh, have to figure out how they're going to operate in this uh, environment. I want to remind everybody uh, Tuesday, May 12th is the scheduled election date for the special congressional in the 7th District, which is uh, northern, northwestern Wisconsin, essentially Wausau, up, up north. Uh, and our member, Trish Sunker, is running in that. And we just want to encourage people uh, who live in that area to get involved in there. Uh, even if you don't live there, um, there's opportunities to get involved. Uh, but that's a critically important election. And we want to encourage everyone who's in there to get your absentee ballot applications in immediately. Uh, vote absentee. Do not try to vote in person on the 12th. Um, but with that, I want to focus us to the state legislature because Wisconsin, we've talked about, it's a critical battleground state, one of the top important states for the presidential. Um, but what is often not talked about is what's happening in our state legislature in terms of we are so deeply gerrymandered that it is going to be a challenge for a lot of resources to come with a focus on those uh, state legislative races. And so we want to, here at the Battleground Wisconsin and at Citizen Action, continue to talk about these races throughout the year because they're so important and there's lots of opportunity. Uh, and so what I wanted to start the conversation around is 
some of uh, the changes that are going to be occurring in the legislature in terms of people who are stepping down. Um, we've already talked about, right, Fred Risser stepping down, uh, Chris Taylor, um, uh, Mark Miller. There's a number of uh, uh, folks who have stepped down, and also Jennifer Schilling. And uh, with the elections uh, this spring, David Crowley's seat in Milwaukee has opened up. Uh, Joe Castazamariba's seat, and we've also heard this week that Jason Fields isn't going to be running in Milwaukee, and that's just a few areas around the state uh, that there's going to be major change. Claire uh, is our leading healthcare uh, person. The only way we're going to start to make progress on a lot of these healthcare issues, I think, going forward in the future is to start to make changes in the legislature so we can change the dynamic on some of these issues if we're going to uh, change some of these uh, issues. Want to get your thoughts on some of these state legislative races uh, and in this election this fall? Sure. Um, I first, I was racking my brain to think if there are other folks who've announced they're not running that I didn't think of. That, um, and I thought of Dave Hansen, um, right? Dave Hansen announced earlier this year that he wasn't going to run for re-election. So that's one in the northeastern part of the state that we hadn't mentioned. Um, so yeah, literally from you know um, the Lake Michigan shores to the to the edge of the state along the Mississippi River, um, we have seats opening up, um, which is an opportunity for us to have a uh, a new set of healthcare advocates in the state legislature. And there are a lot of things that we need support from the legislature on, um, things that hopefully can help us be prepared for um, any disasters that come in the future that, that um, can make sure that we don't get a resurgence of this pandemic, um, you know, next, next year if we don't have a vaccine yet. Um, but moreover, that can help us build the type of structural change that we need to uh, that we need to see come to fruition if we're really, really going to address the the systemic, um, deep-rooted health care issues that are causing um, so many folks to be afraid of seeking uh, treatment that are that are causing um, health care disparities um, between um, white folks and folks of color, um, because those disparities, like we we know that they didn't just come up all of a sudden during this pandemic, right? They've they've existed um, for uh, well as long as the United States has existed, um, and so so yeah, we we need folks um, to to be in the legislature and be strong, unabashed advocates for structural health care reform, um, and just to. We haven't talked about what our general non-COVID-19 healthcare reform platform is in the state in a while, so let's just run through a few of our priorities. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about Medicaid expansion recently, um, but yeah, bachelor care expansion um, is certainly going to be at the top of that list. The state is already gearing up for the next round of, uh, of budget adoptions. It's a biennial budget, but they have to prepare a year in advance for, for uh, that proposal. So. It is not too early for us to be talking about um, bachelor care expansion. Um, second, you know, we are interested in advancing what we're calling a bachelor care public option, um, where folks in Wisconsin could have the option to purchase their health insurance through Badger Care instead of through um, the private market because Badger Care is such a high quality program with such low administrative costs, which help it be a high quality, affordable option for folks. Um, 
three, we're interested in advancing state protections for um, for things that the ACA um, protects. Now, we know that the state uh, doesn't have the authority to regulate every single plan, um, private health insurance plan in the state, um, but they can regulate a bunch. And to the extent that we're able to do something, you know, we at Citizen Action believe that, that uh, the state has the moral obligation to do everything it can for everyone it can. Um, so we want to extend things like protections for folks with pre-existing conditions. Um, we want to mandate that preventative care be covered. Uh, all, all we want to, you know, make sure that the that there is a state ban on uh, lifetime and annual limits of services um, because we don't believe in putting a dollar's amount of care on somebody's life. So all of those are protections that we would love to see codified in state law. Um, uh, you know, four, we want to try to advance some consumer protections around prescription drug prices. Uh, we'd love for we'd love for the state to help regulate um, the cost of um, prescription drugs, and not just not just through price caps, but through actual legitimate, um, you know, transparency measures, accountability boards, um, you know, rate settings, so that the costs just don't come back to us through higher premiums, but but that companies are are actually not price gouging folks. Um, you know, all of these are things that we can do at the state level that without um, significant federal intervention, um, if only we had stronger advocates in the state legislature. Um, so, so that's why supporting our candidates is, is so important. Thank you. Claire, uh, Robert, your thoughts now? Well, we know we're in a pandemic election not just a pandemic primary, and that the right to vote or a conflict between the right to vote and life is good. Uh, uh, the conservatives have decided that's in their power interest, their elites, and we know what they just did in Wisconsin. That's the national agenda, and they're in a position to try to block us. So we have to fix this election with every power we have, with local election clerks most likely, and probably Congress and perhaps Governor Evers holding up bills uh, that, that are needed without uh, really funding mail ballots and making it possible and removing barriers. But we also have candidates who need to run on COVID-19. COVID-19 will be probably the top issue, but it's a health care issue. So health care is still the top issue, if you think about it that way. And I think there are two levels of things that people are interested in. We're going to start asking candidates about this. Number one is, what the heck are you willing to do to actually contain the virus and save lives? And that's, by the way, the best thing to do for the economy. And as we have been saying, and uh, we will provide a link to it in the uh, podcast, see, I organized, so it has to be there. I have a column which explains why this is necessary. We will never get the testing and contract tracing needed uh, to get a handle on this virus unless we have a removal of cost barriers. And since we know the cost barriers are unjust and immoral and bankrupting anyway, this is a foot in the door towards the healthcare system we need to create. And as so Claire is talking about, you can use Badger Care in order to make sure all the uninsured are covered and, and health care is affordable and comprehensive, because a lot of the protections being proposed don't apply to junk health insurance plans, and we have a burgeoning number of uninsured people with mass layoffs. But then requiring insurance companies, to the extent they still exist in the long term, they shouldn't, uh, to cover COVID-19 testing and treatment for free, because otherwise we will not get people to come in who are asymptomatic. And people with even symptoms will avoid it because our healthcare system is based to fleece you at every point of contact. It's unbelievable. And we're not thinking about that enough, 
because all the other countries we're looking at, they don't have this, the advanced industrial countries. So it hasn't been identified as a barrier in Germany and France and Great Britain and uh, South Korea because they don't have this uh, extractive system that just wants to extract every dime out of you and bankrupt you and actually give you expensive care rather than the care you need. And so they need to run that. But then on relief, Matt brought it up earlier, Claire's mentioned it, we need serious relief that not only helps the people really being harmed now, and there's research that shows that Latinos have lost the most wealth in this and, and are the most endangered, then African Americans, and these are the groups that have been looked at, and then whites, so it's in, in unequal, right, to help the people most in need, which is not Fortune 500 companies. Sorry. And by the way, they took the risk, and they, and they extracted everything when they could, and they will again. But then to lay up, lay out what we can do for to, to, to change the economy, to make it just and to make it sustainable and to have a climate transition that also improves economic equity. And so we're talking about that with candidates as well, and we have plans on that, which we don't have time to get into now. But just to, so you know, that's the framework for campaigns as well as for anyone in government. And with that, we need to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. Um, do want to remind you all, folks, again, please go get your absentee ballot applications in. Start doing it now, and that's for whether you got to vote May 12th, whether you're going to uh, uh, vote in the uh, primaries in August, and again this fall, get those ap applications in. And also want to do an encouraged shout-out to people who live in major municipalities. Let's encourage our mayors and our uh, local electeds uh, to mail out absentee ballot applications like they're doing in Milwaukee. With that, we'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Before we go, though, we do want to thank Mark Thompson for joining us uh, and talking more about uh, what we've done with the nursing home industry. We want to thank Brian Wilbridge, our producer, who makes this show happen every week. And we will see y'all next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.